what was or what is a time in your life where you realized that God carried you through a difficult circumstance? What is a, what's a, a time in your life where you realize, maybe in retrospect, like you, you're in the moment, you're like, this is great, God, you're carrying me, but you like look back and you're like, oh, I, I know that I would not be the person I am, or I know I would not have made it through if it wasn't for God carrying me. So take a moment, think about that, and then let's share that testimony with somebody near you. It could be something as simple as, I had a friend pass, and there were people who just counseled me and walked me through it, and let me talk. That's autobiographical, but that can be as simple as that. So take a moment and just think or prayer, prayer, and share. The good news, they're coming. So Jesus said it this way, that in this world you're going to have trouble, that we are going to have trouble, but he also stated, take heart, I've overcome this world, and when we live in a world filled with difficulty and brokenness, it's also worth noting today that we live in a world of evil. In fact, in John 16, he talks about this prince of this world, the enemy, and whenever you have conversations about the enemy, the devil, evil, the evil one, spiritual warfare... Uh, there's a tendency to do two things, over-spiritualize that or under-spiritualize it. And, and we as a church want to be one where we realize that evil exists. And it's not just in people, it's not just in systems. There's evil forces, spiritual principalities that inform the decisions that we make and uh, 
that the collective entities make. And uh, I think most importantly is when we follow Jesus, when we become followers of Jesus, we are pitted against evil forces. That your life is targeted. Uh, there's not just coincidences. There's machinations of forces working against you. Yeah, when you follow Jesus, you experience great intimacy, meaning, and purpose, but you'll also start to realize divisions that rise up in your personal relationships as well as divisions in society and, yes, in the church. You, you recognize that circumstances cannot just be coincidental. Like, why is this happening right now in this moment? You're targeted. And uh, we also have our own internal tapes. The Assembly of God's called that, what do they call it, Tony? Word curses that we have to deal with eternally. Like these tapes that are even louder now that we're committed to Jesus. These tapes of shame and blame. Tapes of deception. And I, I think we want to address this, that the enemy comes as a deceiver. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes many times disguised as joy. Uh, some call it in Bible, uh, the Bible, wolf in sheep's clothing. Promises, empty promises. And, and we see that it's not as veiled as we think. It's, it's not as abstract as we might think. There's, there's ways that the enemy influences our, our daily products, what we consume. Like a lot of what we take in from a consumer standpoint are made in sweatshops where slavery is sold, unfortunately, alive and well. Uh, the enemy and evil forces influence the corporate bottom line. It seems to supersede the value of human life. The enemy will justify sexual pleasure at the cost of slavery, forced prostitution. And, and we may think that this last 100 years, we live in a very modernized, enlightened time. But if you look at the last 100 years, there's been more justifiable homicide and, and, and genocide than there has in any century prior to that. Apartheid. War wars, and smaller wars, mass killings, Holocaust, then you got Stalin, and communist Russia, and you got what happened in China in the seventies. Got it just it's insane. And the smaller conflicts pale in comparison to the larger ones, but so much has been happened in the name of social political good that it's essentially killed millions and millions and millions. Yeah, human choices lead to these devastating consequences, but at the same time, there's a darkness that warps these choices for those who live outside God's reign. And I, and I, I kind of alluded to it, but that, that's the enemy. This is the enemy of God, as we call him, the devil, the accuser. And he has tactics, as I mentioned to you, but the, the, the primary tactic is deceit. Deceit. In fact, when we go through the book of Matthew, we'll see Matthew exposit a bit more about these enemy forces and the, and the evil one, the enemy. In one powerful parable, it talks about how the enemy is, is like a bird who takes truth and swallows it. He, he tells his followers, like, hey, we need to be honest people. We need to let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. If we fluff up anything else, if we try to disguise what we're trying to say, everything else other than our yes and no, anything else from that integrity is from the evil one. There's a powerful parable at the end of Matthew 13 where it talks about a farmer who's God, who's reaping a harvest, who's God's people, his kingdom coming in the world. He's planting, he's, he's planting his seeds to create wheat, 
is his people that are coming up out of the ground. He's harvesting a people for himself. But the enemy comes in and harvests his weeds among the wheat. And, and these weeds are these evil forces, people, and systems that are formed by the enemy. They're trying to crowd out the wheat. And the farmer doesn't pull the weeds right away. It actually explains a lot about why evil exists is that God wants to reap harvest and he doesn't want any of the weeds to come up out of He doesn't want any of the people to pull out. Evil exists because we exist. This is true. And he's reaping a harvest over a, series, over a series of time that I don't know the end of that. That's why evil exists. Because he wants to give so many people a chance to be saved, to know that they're loved in Christ. But again, what I'm trying to say about this, that parable more is that there are weeds where people seek to frustrate the work of God, and one of the great, greatest methods of the enemy is to crop up lies that typically lead individuals or people groups to pursue self-preservation for the sake of others. So today, I'm, as we as we seek the enemy, as we seek to know the enemy, builds our lives with lies. I want to just talk about some of these lies that we're confronted with as we follow Jesus. And this will lead us into our next chapter, Matthew 14, Matthew 4. As we're going to talk about today, what lies are we almost certainly going to be confronted with as a people of God as we seek to follow Jesus? And yeah, we're continuing our series, which is just a, a year-long approach to the book of Matthew. There's a, a sweet little visual of an overview of Matthew that the, the creators of Bible Project created. It's pretty fun to look at if you want to. Uh, mainly in the Gospel of Matthew, he's, he's helping the reader know that the good news is that this Messiah, which is also a king, this king of Israel is also the king of all nations. And, and he's, he's seeking and serving and building his kingdom. This is a Jesus, is a king of all people, and his kingdom has come and is coming. And, and the, the kingdom is not coming in force, but it is coming in power. It's not coming by way of privilege, but it is coming by way of Jesus' authority. And there's a mystery in that nuance, but what I'm trying to say, this is a servant king. And so as, as I share that, what we have in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after his baptism, is a confrontation between the king, this Messiah Jesus, and, and the quote-unquote prince of this world, the enemy. And uh, it's the spirit that actually leads God to confront the enemy. A lot of times when we read this passage, we think about poor old Jesus. Look, he's getting getting knocked on by the devil when he's down. But this is all the orchestration of God. He is the one who's confronting these evil forces. He is the one who's come to take back ground, so to speak. It's always been his ground, but his ground are people, and he's bringing them home. So with that, I wanted to invite Jess up to read our scripture for today. And then we will have a response after the scripture that I believe is appropriate. So last week, um, Andy was talking about Matthew 3, 17, and 16 and 17, and he's talking about as, how soon as Jesus was baptized, he went on out into the water, and at the moment, the heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on the dove and alighting on him. And it was from heaven he said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This week we're talking about Matthew 4, through 11, um, and it talks about how the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, 
that word is better translated um, as tested. Many times tempted has a negative connotation and this is a test which means that good can and will come out from it. So as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God, if we're willing and able, I invite you to Matthew 4, 1-11 Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Men shall not live in bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended. So I thought, uh, just have to remain that scripture in that last note of Jesus saying to the enemy, to Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I thought it would be good right now just to have another song of worship, just to kind of settle in our hearts as we exposit this scripture. So I want to invite the band up for another song. That is our, I love our band. I love our bands, our people. So as we reflect on that passage and Jesus' testing in the desert, a lot can be said contextually about what's happening, about how the beginning of Jesus' ministry parallels that of the Israelites in their own desert, how Jesus is the new and greater Moses, but also much can be said about how Jesus is not only uh, ushering a new Jewish Israelite community, but also a new humanity. Uh, that these tests are, are here to define what it means to be truly human and truly trust God. And I've seen a lot of people parse out these temptations, these tests, in different ways. I've, I've, I've read about one discipleship ministry looking at these three tests where Jesus tested to turn bread of stone into bread when he's hungry, he tested to jump off the Temple Mount in front of a ton of people and let God's miraculous angels catch him, tested to essentially take hold of all the kings of the world if he were to worship uh, the enemies. I've seen it parse out as like our own appetite, our own need for approval, our own ambition. I've heard it parsed out as from BSF as God's provision, God's protection, proper worship. I've heard now give a great treatise on Christian leadership about how we need to not go after our own popularity, our own relevance, our own power.
power. There's a lot of ways that's been parsed out. Usually there's some alliterative way that it comes up. And one of the ways I do appreciate, I love Maul, is how the enemy tries to perpetuate this lie of what our worth is. Our worth, uh, there's a lie that our worth equals what I can do, plus what other people think about me, plus what I have. That's a lie that we are tempted with, and it's a lie that you see even in this. Like, hey, you can do this, turn us to bread, hey, get the approval of people, what you have are all the kingdoms, and that lie is refuted by the statement that is spoken over Jesus at his baptism, that you're my child, whom I love and with whom well pleased. What we have is God's love. We don't need approval, we're God's child. What you can do, it doesn't matter what you can do, God's already pleased with you. God is already pleased with Jesus, the Father's pleased with Jesus before he does anything. These all matter. These truths are inherent to your identity in Christ. And they cannot be stated enough that your, your worth is not what people think about you or what you have or what you can even do. Your worth is that you're God's child, whom God loves and with you. He is well pleased. God is well pleased. Amen. I have been challenged to look at this a bit more collectively. I have a, a friend or a mentor in my life to say, yes, these are true and these are preached often, but what are these lies that the enemy what are they saying about God? And what are they saying about our faith? That's what I want to lean into today, because there's some lies that are inherent to these tests that I think we, we need to be aware of. And um, the first one is this. As you look at the first temptation, the lie is, if we belong to God, that you and I should have whatever we want, when we want it. This is a lie that we tend to believe. It's a lie that's perpetuated a prosperity gospel. It's very clear when you read verse 2 through, through 4. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He being Jesus. Of course he was hungry. He starved. The tempter, the tester, came and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become the bread. If you're the Son of God, you should not be in a difficult circumstance like this. You shouldn't be experiencing this. You should be having whatever you want. Can you really trust the Father, Jesus? Does he have your best in mind? Why are you starving in the desert? And, and I've read recently that this fasting, it is hell. When you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, I've not done it. I just want to give you a heads up. I've not done 40 days and 40 nights. But it is hell. He's physically in hell. But he's also at the same time spiritually strong. Like that he is, this is a time of preparation. This is why fasting matters so much. Because as you fast for food, you're able to feast on the truth of who God is, and you're dependent on God. Jesus was prepared in this moment that despite his circumstances, despite the longing he had, which is a very real physical longing, God has everyone's best in mind, including his own. This is why Jesus is able to respond, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when you look at it, that's from Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy each time. It's one of the most quoted Old Testament books in Matthew and in the New Testament. When you look at that, you expand that out. Let's just look at Deuteronomy 8. It says this. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised and owed to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these four years. This is God speaking through Moses to the next generation of the Israelites as they enter the new promised land. To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes do not wear out, your feet do not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. And that's what I want to cling to is that word discipline. Discipline, we have a lot of connotations, but it's a training ground. And one of the greatest training grounds that we have in our faith is to not get what we want all the time. Because in that moment, God is forming in our character. And if you look at it another way, if you were to give someone what they want all the time, what are you producing? What does God produce? A spiritual adolescent, a baby, a spoiled baby. The path forward, as we see in this and throughout Jesus' ministry, the path forward is not an easy life. That's actually the path backward. It's a life in the midst of difficulty, living for the sake of others. Life is not always easy. It's seldom easy. And change is not always fast. It usually takes a long time. But we fall into that temptation, that test. We should be free. We should be happy. This little pleasure should not matter much. We should be able to enjoy this without thinking a second thought about it. We should be able to do whatever we want we think is right. We should always be happy, and that's not the truth. Lord? <laughs> think, about, think about Jesus. If in his humanity, if he was tempted to turn the stone into bread, that same rationalization would probably say, you know what, I don't, this cross seems a bit too much. I'm the son of God. I, I shouldn't have to. In fact, that's what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, hey, Lord, everything is possible for you. Everything is. Please take this cup away from me, the cross. Yet, not what you will, but not what I will, but you. Jesus was unwilling to take the crown without the cross. And, and as we think about that in our own crosses, which are unique, and we think about what we talked about last week, what does it mean to step into authentic baptismal change? There's a confession of need, and there's a reality that we do fall short. But before that, we own our primal identity, that we're loved by God. And at the end of it all, we have to recognize that God is doing the work, that the Holy Spirit has raised us from the dead. We do say yes to Jesus, but that work can take a long time. That work requires, for most of us, waiting. And we don't like to wait. take the easy route. To compromise our values, to leave a relationship if it's difficulty, to self-medicate when things get hard. In ministry, our temptation, my temptation is to tickle people's ears in order to get more people in. When we're seeking justice, it, it, it's to listen less to what Jesus has for us, and maybe more to what our actions have for us. When you look at the people of Israel, and this is Jesus ushering a new Israel as he's ushering new humanity, they themselves were enticed by their creature comforts. God had saved them from slavery. 
and they were ready to go back to whatever they want, whenever they want, if it, even if it was just simple food from their oppressors. They're like, why are we starving here in the desert? Let's go back to Egypt where there was meat and soup. And so I think a, a one question that we can ask ourselves, maybe even if we have courage to share with others, is like, what, what is maybe one or two of our own creature comforts that we take as an easy route when life gets hard? I can tell you a few of mine. Sugar, it's like a big one. I like to have gummy bear stash when I'm tired at night, and I just hit that. I made it up. I made it up. I put it in the freezer. It lasts longer. <laughs> Fatty foods, I dig it. But sometimes I'll just, like, when I'm, I'm struggling, I'll just YouTube something dumb. Like, I'm right now in this like, thing where I'm looking at old clips of Cheers. The show Cheers, I used to love that show as a kid. Just to kind of, like, it's not a horrible thing, but there's ways that we check out when life gets hard. And so when we check out, we become disconnected to the people around us and, and disconnected to God. Our lives are meant to be with God, all of our lives with God. So what, what may be a creature comfort of yours? Take a moment, if you're brave, if you're not brave, if you, I don't want to say you're not brave, don't share. Just take a moment to share one or two of somebody next So the lie is, if we belong to God, you should have whatever you want, whenever you want. And the truth is, waiting is part of the process of being human, and definitely part of the process of following God. And there's good stuff that happens when we wait. Growth happens. We become more present. 
when we, when we become less addicted to whatever we're waiting for. There's gratitude for actually what you do have. Hopefully there's a realization that whatever we're waiting for won't fill us up like God fills us up. And, and I think as we look at Jesus' response, one, one thing that's helpful for us to fuel us when we're waiting is God's Word. That the Scriptures God's given to us, not only to, to know His truth, but to see people who are broken, and people who are not getting what they want, but at the same time have everything in Christ. That's, that's the beauty. God's Word can be misused, and we'll see that in the next uh, section. That's why it's going to be in there, to understand what it is mean to live in this world as it is, broken at the same time beautiful. And uh, so, yeah, I would say um, I'm really stoked about this year, like spending time in one book. I've never done that before, but it's an adventure. Or the next section to continue reading in Matthew. You may have other studies. That's great. But to read with us and to anchor yourself in God's Word so that you can have a stable foundation in the midst of the waiting. So that's the first life. We belong to, we belong to God who should have whatever we want, whatever we want. The second life is this. If God belongs to us, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, the hope of glory. God belongs to us. God should immediately show up miraculously. This is a lie. That if God belongs to us, God should show up miraculously. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, going after his identity again, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. That's Psalm 91, great psalm, by the way, about the hope of Christ, the following the king of kings, who ultimately will win the war. This king of kings loves us. Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Going back to Deuteronomy 6, which is anchored in the Shema, which we read last year, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. God belongs to us. This is a lie. God should show up immediately uh, and miraculously. And it's similar to the first one, though it has its own nuances. It's very similar. There are moments when we ask God to show up, and it seems like he doesn't. We want healing from the sickness. We want to see a change of heart, freedom from addiction, a shift in a relationship, a unique opportunity to come to fruition. We want financial freedom. We want this person empowered, this other person removed, progress in society. And then it seems like nothing happens, at least not immediately. And, and though I, I want to be sensitive to the pain, we are called to mourn with those who are mourning. Of course we are. I don't want to diminish anybody's grieving process, but the one promise we do have in this world, the one guarantee on this side of the kingdom is the presence of God. There's no true promise outside of that, as we live in the midst of this world today. There is a promise when we die, there's a promise uh, at the second coming of Christ, but right now, as we're living, our promise is this, God's presence. And that presence matters immensely as we are grieving. Because we recognize that God is carrying us with grief. He's the one who's holding us. He's the one who weeps with us. But I know that, that God is for you and with you and in you as you grieve. He's the one who carries us through the death and the tomb of waiting to resurrection. And also, let's be noted that we can't treat God like a genie. We can't treat God like a genie. God's very essence is one of service and mercy and justice of love. God is a servant king. But as followers of Jesus, God is not strictly in our service. 
God is not a vending machine. We get to serve this servant king. When we come to faith, the beauty of our faith is that we get God. And God gets us, and then we get to go on an adventure with God, which is a lot of time this. But it's not to get whatever we want, and it's not necessarily to get whatever we need in that moment or what we need in that moment. That's a hard reality. And I think that's where the enemy tries to sow seeds of doubt in our lives. See, look at God. He didn't show up. Look at, look at God. And we have to realize, no, no, no. God is with us. He can use us. He's carrying us. So I think one, a next step, the first next step is to immerse ourselves in God's word. And I think another great next step is to journal honestly with God, uninhibited, telling God about our pain and our anger. Even if it's at God, that's fine. God can take it. God already knows what's going inside. God can even receive, if we have to, our at bonds. And, and, and as we journal, I, I would commend to you to trust God and his love for you is unfettered by any confusion or anger that you feel. I think a question that you can just think internally, if introverts like yes, is what cultivates your honesty with God? And how have you seen your vulnerability to further your trust in God? Next step week, this week is to trust God. In fact, if you're part of the Good and Beautiful Life book studies, which we have a lot of people in, if you want to join, it's great. Sign up to the back. One of the first things you do is to write a letter to God. And you say, hey God, this is what I want my life to look like. And as you reflect on that, you're reflecting on what my life doesn't look like, like to look like right now. And say, God, I want this, but I also want to serve you. So I, journaling is a great practice. But I think what I want to note as we stick at this point is our promise is God's presence. And our test really is not to test God's presence, but to trust Him. Third line. I'll recap the first two. If we belong to God, we should get whatever we want, whenever we want. If God belongs to us, he should show up immediately and miraculously. The third line is this. This one's really, really deceptive, and it permeates society, is that we can live life without God and also without the consequences of living life without God. This is one of the main primary lies that the enemy has. It goes back to the garden. Let me just read the scripture. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Essentially, give up this idea of the Father's kingdom. Take hold of my kingdom. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And we, we sang that song, your love is strong. I love that. So yes, this is harkening back to the original sin where, where the devil comes to the woman and the man who was standing beside her in silence. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat in the trees in the gardens, Genesis 3, verses 3 through 4. But God did say, you must not eat from any tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you would die. And the serpent says, you will certainly not die. But God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This lie is like, yeah, you're made in God's image. You don't really need God. You're already like God. And this is a lie that the world believes. We don't need God. We don't need something outside of our own ability to decide what is good and evil, which has only led to what I talked about, travesty and tragedy. And the enemy believes this lie. He believes that, yeah, we don't, we don't need the Father. The enemy is deceived himself. We believe the lie that we can have our own kingdom, have our cake and eat it too without the consequences of that, of 
And I thought about this this morning as I was reflecting. What does it look like for us to believe this lie, to have our own kingdom? How does that land with us very personally? And I, I thought of this uh, parable that a, a, a seminary professor and a teacher of mine, a disciple of mine, shared. He said, pretend you're hanging outside your house one day and your neighbor comes in. And your neighbor says, ah, Joyce, got amazing news. We, uh, we hit the lottery. And, uh, life is good. I don't need to cook anymore. We're going to move closer to the beach. There's no need for work anymore. Zach, we're doing just fine. We're going we're gonna to leave this spot we're at. We're going to move it. Moving on up, as they said at Jefferson's. Uh, we're going to have we're just, life is going to be so much more simpler. We're going to get some of the things that we've always wanted. And you receive that and you sit with that for a moment. And then your neighbor says this. Here says this. But I also want to tell you, Zach, I also want to tell you, Joyce, um, that my spouse just, we just found out my spouse is terminally ill with cancer. She's got about two weeks to live. And in that moment that you hear that latter reality, there's something in you and me that makes us feel a bit better. What is that? For some reason, we get some consolation from that moment. Like, oh, this person gets all this stuff. What, happened? what about me? And then you realize, oh, well, I guess I feel a little better. There's just something in you. We wouldn't admit it out loud, but there's something about that. We're, we're caught up in these convincing lies where the enemy's like trying to tell you, oh, see, you're doing better than you think. Instead of taking on your neighbor's plight, whatever they have, whatever stuff they have, that doesn't matter according to God. It doesn't matter if it should matter to us as we want this. There's something that inhibits us from mourning with others and listening to others and seeing their plight because we're worried about our kingdom and what we have and what we don't have. That's a bit of what that looks like. Trying to live without God, live in our own kingdom. The Messiah is a huge theme, and the kingdom of God is a huge theme in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is a true king. His words and actions dictate what the kingdom looked like. It's about incredible hospitality, inclusion, outside belonging. It's about healing, feeding, pure joy, joyful purity, no pretense, gratitude, and heartfelt worship of the one true God. That is what it looks like. And anybody can have that now if they have God. But what also needs to be noted is that kingdom of God makes a claim on every person who's made an image of God. We think we can somehow avoid that claim. We can reject this claim or fail to surrender to it. We, and we do for many reasons. But there's an eternal ramifications for rejecting God's claim on your life. He made you for him, for God, and for others. How is this the trajectory of a self-absorbed life? When we are so consumed with our own kingdom. But it's not just about our afterlife. Failure to acknowledge God as a wise and just and loving ruler of this world is to reject the stability that God brings down. As, as we'll see in the Sermon of the Mount, all of these rules that he talks about, they're, they're not meant to be feared as much as they are meant to be treasured. They're a gift. His ways are a gift for us. This is why when we look at Deuteronomy, it's about receiving life from God. God wants to have life for you 
today. He wants you to avoid, join his adventure and have intimacy and meaning and purpose. This isn't about just obeying so that you can get out of jail free card. It's about having life today. Deuteronomy says Deuteronomy 30. This day I call the heavens and the earth witnesses against you, so I set before you life and death. I've shown you blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose me so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. The Lord is your life and will give you many years of land. He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As we think of lies, one of the greatest lies that we have in the church is that obedience will get you a reward. That if we follow God, we get all this amazing stuff in heaven, and we'll get all this stuff today, which is a reflection of previous lies. But the truth is, obedience is its own reward. A life of virtue is a good and beautiful life. A life of service is the greatest adventure you're going to find. A life in a community, God's community, is the greatest intimacy you're going to find. It comes with truth, it comes with challenge, but it also comes with love and comfort. A life of godly surrender is the only sanity you and I will find. All right, God, I don't know why this is happening right now, but I'm going to give this back to you. Because I cannot carry this, you carry it, and I'll be with you. Help me carry this. And yeah, at the end of the age, God is going to call his children by his name. Following Jesus, it, it does cost a lot. It is hard. We don't get what we want all the time, but there's also a cost to not following Jesus. Eternal and for today. We don't get to receive the intimacy and meaning purpose we have for us if we don't give our lives to Christ today. So the next step of this is this commit our resources, what we have, to the kingdom. To, to deaccumulate a bit so that we can invest in, in God and others. This is who Jesus is. This is our privilege and our honor. To give of ourselves and to find life. That's the beauty of those who give their lives to find it. Amen? So I'm just going uh, to pray for us as I invite the band back up. And I, I do want to continue the invitation for those who may not have given their lives to Christ to say yes to God who says yes to them. So will you pray with me as we anchor ourselves to the truth of the God is? Yeah, Lord, we are, uh, we are grateful. We're so grateful that you were unwilling to take the crown without the cross. We're so grateful that your love is so strong. Your love is such a certain part that you keep time going in the midst of evil so that you can so that we can come home to you. And that we can come and join you on the adventure that is the life of the disciple. To use our resources, our gifts, our talents, our treasures for the sake of your name. To invite others in who may be even hostile to you in order to love them, even if it's hard God. To invest in things that you care about, people needing. People having a night for the night, or maybe many nights, or maybe for the rest of the life. God, I pray that we as a church would continue to, to lean on each other as we lean on you. And because of that, people would know us by our love. A love that is anchored in your grace, God, your mercy, your favorable disposition, your compassion towards us, the fact that you forgive us, the fact that you offer help. That we be anchored in your grace and your truth, your undeniable truth, that you are the one true God. 
and that we can receive you through Christ whom you sent. Holy Spirit, I know you're doing a work right now in this small, sturdy community. Would you continue to carry that work even as we wait, Lord? Would you continue to carry this completion? And yes, God, if there's anybody here who has not had the opportunity to say yes to you, kid, would they say yes to the God who weeps with us, who holds us, who carries us, who gives us hope, that even today has its pain, tomorrow will have its joy. And that hope gives us an undergirding joy, that in the midst of lack of happiness or comfort, we know, King, that you're on our side, and if you're, against, if you're for us, you can be against us. So if there's anybody here who hasn't said yes to the King, I want you to know this King died for you. Well, he, he came for you, he knows you, he loves you, he died for you, he rose for you, He unleashed this Holy Spirit that speaks truth to you now. That you are His. And He is yours. And just have an opportunity if you have a conversation with God. Say, yeah, Lord, I want to say yes to you. I want to live this life of the chosen. I want to live this life of the forgiven. This life of the blessed. This humble life. This trusted life. If that's you, I just want you to just pray to God and say, Lord, I say yes to you now. I say yes to you, Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection, the spirit that is you've unleashed on that cross. And I want to walk with the God who's been with me all along the way. I knew you were there, God. I just didn't have an opportunity to say yes, but I say it now. I pray that God, in Jesus' name, for our church, for those who are searching, we reclaim it. Amen. To continue reading with us, Matthew 4, and do a, uh, that's, do again, uh, that's God's Word, that's really good. And then uh, we're going to have a, a really great speaker, I'm excited next week, I'm not going to give it away, uh, but we're working on this talk this week, I'm excited. And then uh, to journal with God openly and honestly this week, take a moment just to spend time writing down your words with the Lord. And then, yeah, to support the movement, that's just the next step that we have as we start this year. If you're a part of this community, that we'd love you to support the God, uh, the work that God's doing in and through this community. And as we end, uh, I want to ask parents to go downstairs to pick up their kids, but also want to end with our benediction, which should just be, it'll be on the screen. It's on our connection cards, um, which, by the way, if you have a connection card or you want to tell us about any prayer requests you have or just want to meet up with somebody here, with myself, we'd love for you to fill that out and drop it in the offering box in the back. But we're going to just stand and say uh, these words, Second Corinthians 13, 14. Thank you again, man, by the way. So we'll read this together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Just call on that name of Jesus, you'll be doing all right. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.